G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Realfaith.org.au He said, um, unfortunately, as we were travelling down for the meeting, Ben was in another car and they had an accident and, and Ben was killed. By this stage, I loved this man and I just broke down crying. He was a well-known man, loved, and just everybody broke down crying. We were just crying and I didn't know what to do. Ten minutes and uh, Ben walks in. Welcome to Real Faith, conversations about the impact faith has on our lives and the challenges we go through, helping us today and giving us hope for tomorrow. That's real people, real life and real faith with Eric Scadabo. Well, today we're going to hear about a missionary that is somewhat different than most. You see, David Odd served in Papua New Guinea for five years before becoming a Christian. How did that happen? Well, stay tuned as David Odd will share his story, the story of being an unsaved missionary. David Odd, welcome to the program. Thanks, Eric. So you were a missionary for about 20 years in Papua New Guinea? Mm, 23 years altogether, yes. I understand that the way that you even became a missionary and came to Papua New Guinea is not quite the orthodox or the standard way of becoming a missionary. Is that right? Yes, yes, that that is right. Um, it, it started actually when um, my wife and I were teachers and I got a promotion to Geelong. So we bought a house in Geelong and uh, we were living next door to this uh, couple and the man was a uh, was an elder in a denominational church and he kept inviting us to church and we said not interested not interested so you weren't churchgoers before this time no weren't churchgoers and this is in our early married life we'd been married um four years and he just persisted so in the end we said oh okay we'll go so we started going to church and in those times that was the right thing to do you know socially acceptable Mm. and all, all that and uh, we um, we went on a work group to Fiji. Then we went on another work group a couple of years later to Papua New Guinea. So these were kind of short-term mission trips, but yes. for projects. Yeah, projects to, help, to help existing missions doing building work, uh, maintenance work, that type of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we went along. Um, the second trip to Papua New Guinea, and um, they discovered that we were both secondary teachers so they said a real need for teachers in Papua New Guinea would you consider coming and uh, we just not not interested at all so went back to Australia but they kept persisting just like our neighbour kept persisting saying come (laughs) to church people in your life at that time (laughs) yes yes so um, in the end I just said to my wife Beryl I said look Everybody says, yes, yeah, somebody should do something about this and so on. I said, let's do it. So we went and uh, went through a, um, a mission board from a, a denomination and um, 
I, I couldn't say we had a personal relationship with God. We were churchgoers. And so we went thinking, this is good. These are good mm. works to mm. do. So off we went. And at that time, we had two children. Went up to um, New Ireland in Papua New Guinea. And there we met a uh, local pastor who had been a translator for Billy Graham. Billy Graham had visited um, Papua New Guinea. Oh, wow. And uh, he was translating for them, and he came to a personal relationship with God. He, he was an ordained minister, but again, as um, so often happens, there's not that personal relationship with the Lord. In other words, he hadn't accepted Jesus Christ as a savior until he met uh, Billy Graham? Correct, until he was this translator and during his translation. Well, oh. he, he gave oh, his He heart. was actually translating for, for Billy, Billy Graham. Graham. Oh, yes, wow. Yes, wow. and uh, so he was, and then he saw us, and we were good friends by that stage, and he realized that, hey, David and Beryl don't know, don't, don't have, have, a have this personal relationship. So here we are at this uh, school in New Ireland, and um, we went through all the things that uh, a church school would do, and so we ran a, uh, an Easter camp. And I invited this man to come and speak at the uh, Saturday evening Easter camp. So Easter came around, I'm at the front of the meeting, conducting some singing, waiting for this man and his entourage to come. And I'm I'm there in the front, and I get a one one of the people who were supposed to come with him came into the back of the meeting and beckoned me to come. He wanted to speak to me, so I, I just said to the people, "Okay, just hang on, I'll, I'll go and see what this man wants." So I go up there, and he said, "Now the speaker, now the speaker's name is Ben." He said, um, "Unfortunately, as we were travelling down for the meeting." Ben was in another car and they had an accident and, and Ben was killed. Oh, my goodness. Yes, and I, I, you know, I loved, by this stage, I loved this man and I just broke down crying. And he said, well, you're going to have to go up the front and tell, tell the people. Now, there were about perhaps 250, 300 students together with the staff of the school. So I go into the front and I said to them, um... I said, look, you know, Ben has met with an accident, has been killed and won't be able to be with us. Well, he was a well-known man, loved, and uh, just everybody broke down crying. Mm. We were just crying, and I didn't know what to do. Ten minutes, and uh, Ben walks in. Oh, wow. And uh, looked looked at him, and... And he stood there and he said, well, thank you for your tears. Have you ever thought that Jesus died for you? Have you ever cried for him? That was his message. Oh, wow. That's quite an unusual um, entrance. Yes. <laughs> so he had this all planned. Yes, yes. He'd planned a drama. He just didn't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't recommend this for other people. but <laughs> No, no, it's not. But he knew that I was so thick-headed, you know, the intellectual mm -hmm. um, teacher, who mm. a churchgoer, had obviously heard the gospel before, but no response. So he thought, this bloke needs a bit of a shock to wow, well, get him out. Well, it quite was quite a shock. And, yeah. and then I, I just realised 
And that, that was all that was needed. I realised that I was, um, was not saved or you know, didn't have that relationship with Jesus. And so I committed my life to the Lord that evening. Along with my wife, along with about 200 of the students who were there. Oh, wow. Some of the other staff members in the school. It was just an incredible time. So he clearly presented the gospel that Jesus Christ died for our sins and you need to accept him as your savior to have eternal life. In that very simple few words, yes. And so there it was. So immediately... No, no, wait a second. So (laughs) I just want to stop here and look at the implications of this. Okay. So you told me before we started to record, you were an unsaved missionary. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) See, I went to do good works yeah and in doing those good works here we were at this school that had only been established for a couple of years was very much developing and yeah got stuck into that work and um, i think it was five years we were there and yeah we're making good progress in a material way building buildings establishing gardens all of that but i had no impact on the spiritual side students would come to me they'd be ill and they'd say can i just go home and you know get some help at home little did i realize that what they were doing was going to the local witch doctor to get that sort of help oh wow and uh i didn't know i didn't even believe in it yeah and so you know after five years and I've, i've just remembered that at that stage, as I say, we were there for about five years, I had just said to God, I'd said, look, I'm reading the Bible, I see healings, I see salvations, I see that in the Bible, not happening in my life, if that's all there is, I'm giving up. Oh, wow. And So, that, so you're that, about to chuck it all in? Yeah, yeah. And so here he comes with this drama. And, uh, ben. and then Ben, and then I very much didn't want to check it in. <laughs> oh, wow. It so was God just knew lovely. just what you needed at he just did. the right time. Yes. And yes. Ben was the person who was the instrument that God used at that time. Correct. Correct. So so tell us about Ben. So he is a native Papua New Yes. Indian. He'd been through the theological college that that denomination ran. And um, as I said, he was a... Uh, he, he was an unsaved minister <laughs> until he uh, translated. Until Billy Graham came and he translated I'm for Billy not Graham. I'm sure it was actually Billy Graham, but, you know, the organization. Oh, okay, okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Our guest today is David Ott, who actually went to PNG to serve as a missionary before becoming a Christian. But, as we just heard, unusual circumstances led to him giving his life to the Lord. Next, we're going to find out the amazing way God used David's baptism to help spread the gospel in Papua New Guinea. That and more when we return right here on Real Faith. The Word for Today is Australia's most widely read daily devotional, designed to give you practical teaching to keep you focused on your relationship with Jesus. Read it online or subscribe to the free printed edition at thewordfortoday.com.au. You're listening to Real Faith, conversations with real people about how God works in their lives. If you want to know more about integrating faith into your life, our website is realfaith.org.au. Just go to the website and you'll find helpful articles about the impact faith can have on your life. 
Once again, that's realfaith.org.au. Welcome back. I'm Eric Scadabo, and our guest today is David Odd, who had the unusual experience of going to Papua New Guinea to serve as a missionary before he became a Christian. Before the break, we heard the unusual way that he was led to the Lord by a local ordained minister in PNG. Next, David will share the amazing way that God used his baptism to help spread the gospel. Then God impressed on me to start reading the Bible and really believing it. So I did. Pretty good and, for a missionary to do. Yeah, not a bad idea. It's, uh, <laughs> it, it does help. I can recommend it, actually. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so I read and I said, you, you're saved, yeah, but now you have to be baptized. So I said to Ben, I said, um, hey, Ben, I've just been reading my Bible and I need to be baptized, meaning immersion in water. Yeah, yeah. And his first reaction was, no, our denomination doesn't do that. I said, well, whether our denomination does it or not, I want to be baptised. He said, give me two weeks. I'll pray about it and I'll read the scriptures that you give me. And uh, after two weeks, he said, okay, I'll do it. Now, here he is agreeing to do that, could easily be chucked out of his denomination because of it, because it just mm-hmm. wasn't yeah. wasn't part of... Uh, that tradition. The, yeah, that tradition. Anyway, we set a date... And so, now, the school we were at was sort of inland by about 800 metres, and we had that short walk down to the local village where there was this beautiful river running through. So we agreed that we'd do the baptism in the river. So on the day of the baptism, this crowd of about 400 local people, villages and so on How did they know? Oh, well, word you gets know, out. yeah, <laughs> word gets out and uh, it gets out very quickly in Papua New Guinea, uh, despite, yeah, at that stage, no telephones or anything. Yeah, but, but this was unusual. Oh, yes. Yeah, Why uh, was it unusual? Because um, I was this uh, white skin who's supposed to come as a missionary telling the gospel to the local people and here's him being saved under the ministry of a local person and asking the local person to baptise him. So that was unusual. Kind of the, the reverse of the uh, stereotypical way. Yeah, very much. <laughs> so very it's much. The, the black guy baptising the white guy. Yeah, yeah. So in we go into the water and, as I said, this huge crowd. I, It's hard to say, but I, I think about 400 people. While we were being baptised, now it wasn't just myself, it was my wife because she was saved at the same time, many of the staff, many of the students. So we had a lot of people to baptise. But while that was going on, people were being healed, saved, giving their hearts to the Lord and repenting of of things. And it it was just, just without any preaching or anything. It was just going on. So he baptised me. I came out of the water and I looked at him. I said, what about you? He said, oh, I'm going to wait for my wife. And two weeks later, he was baptised. Oh, well. wow. So you kind of started a new trend there. <laughs> yes, yes. And it was, in fact, the first baptism by immersion of that denomination. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, And it did start a... Precedent setting. Quite, very much so, very much so, yes. And so that really started a spark and Ben and myself... 
formed an evangelism committee and uh, we went throughout the island seeing hundreds being saved. Wow, that's fantastic. uh, Yeah, it was just that spark that was needed. And then at the school, we'd have an intake of about 70 students each year. Within three months, they'd be saved and baptised, the vast majority of them. So it was that spark that Mm, was needed because, as I said, I was about to throw it in. Yeah. Because I wasn't seeing anything that the Bible talks about. So the Bible was just a book of stories at that point in your life. Yeah, yeah. And... Again, from that point of view that it might might be true or it might not, you know. Yeah. You don't have to take it literally, mm-hmm. that type of thing. Yeah. But after that, I did take it literally, and so God taught us so much, you know, baptism, as I said, about tithing, about demonic activity mm. and all that. See, we were in a dangerous situation, being unsaved and in that demonic environment Oh, really? And God miraculously now, kept us. Why would you say that's a dangerous situation, being unsaved? Because you don't know that it's going on, and you are under that influence. It's it's there everywhere. Mm. You know, it's a um, everybody believed in the these you know the spiritual life. And so there's witch doctors, and oh, they're yeah. are they putting curses on people? Or? Yes. Yeah. So oh, that's yeah. just a part of everyday life. Yes. Yes. And so if you don't believe in the power of Jesus, how can you protect yourself? You can't. Is that what you're That's what I'm at? saying. You can't. Yeah. And yet, somehow he miraculously protected us until we understood what was going on, and then we were able to fight our own battles as it were, mm, but, you know, yeah. in his power. But, yep. Now, going forward, as a result of this kind of unusual way of being a missionary, becoming a Christian while you're on the mission field— did that kind of help you get in with the culture? Were you seen in a different way than maybe if you had come the traditional way as, hi, I'm the high and mighty white educator who knows everything? Yes. <laughs> or, I mean, w- was this yeah. to your advantage in yes. sharing the gospel? I'm, sh- I'm sure it, it was. There's no doubt about it that because Benham himself formed this evangelism committee, we were welcome wherever, and I was welcome to speak in that sense of not coming from on top down, mm-hmm. but here I've had this experience that while, they all saw, we, which they all knew about, mm, and yep. uh, so you can too. And I'm sure that that added to the power of of what was being said and done. And, and we just um, saw so much happening, and so for stayed in that particular location for six more years. And as I said, we saw incredible things at the school and on the whole island of New Ireland. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, getting back to the demonic activity and the witch doctor, did you have any occasions where you had to really rely on your faith to overcome some challenges in that area? Oh, yes, yes. We'd, um, in fact, one of the um, first things that happened was that uh, Ben arrived at our doorstep. He, he lived in the main town of New Ireland, which was about an hour's drive away, he came in his vehicle and just uh, dumped a lady on our doorstep and said, uh, she seems to have a lot of spirits in her and uh, can you do something about it? (laughs) (laughs) 
that was it? That was it. <laughs> here, here, do something about yeah, it. Yeah, do something about it. <laughs> Did so you have any idea were, what to do? I uh, well, I'd been reading my Bible, so oh, okay. I, I knew that the that the Spirit had to obey the, the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. But for three days and three nights nonstop, we prayed for this lady mm. until she was set free. And uh, I just saw so much there. In fact, that went so far that the European people in KVN um, decided I wasn't fit to be uh, the principal of a school. And so they went to the education department. Whoa, 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 whoa. Why? Because I believe in these these evil spirits, and I pray for three nights and three days, and uh, so that was not uh, well. You know, fitting in with their particular not, denominational not traditions. In, well, not just church people, but just just people who were in the town working, and uh, as you said before, word gets out, mm. and so here are these people who don't even know about evil spirits, and here's this guy who's supposed to be looking after about 300 students. He must be off his rocker, so, yeah, they asked the education department to remove me. The so man, what happened? Well, the man from the education department came in. He was a Papua New Guinean. And he said, what, what's all this? So I said, oh, Ben bought this lady who was um, full of evil spirits and... Uh, Oh, is that all he said? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so for him, it wasn't a big deal because no, he knows really about Because that's kind of the everyday life. That's right. Yeah. The, yeah. the local people there know that evil spirits and witch doctor type activities are going on. Correct. So yeah. it's not a big deal for them. No. no. What, what do it's you not. say? I mean, you must get this question all the time. What do you say to Australians who are like, oh, no, there is no such thing as that? Which doctor stuff, but yet you uh, lived in a culture where it was so common that it was just everybody yeah. knows about it. Okay, I well, if they're um, you know, if they're Christians, I I say I, I point to the Bible, and I say, well, Jesus did um, drive out many mm-hmm. yeah, demons. You got stories there. Also, you got story of Moses who went and performed miracles, and the first few miracles, the Egyptian magicians were able to do the same things so obviously they had demonic help they had demonic help and they certainly didn't have god's help Mm -hmm. and uh so it's the same thing in new guinea and so you had just had to get used to living in that type of culture where witchcraft and demonic forces were common yeah and Mm -hmm. you know time and again students being um attacked by by spirits we before i was um saved I used to allow the students to do their traditional dances and the traditional dances are all designed to bring up evil spirits and so Oh, on. you just thought it was a cultural I, thing? I just thought, yeah, nice culture and so yeah. on. And um, having then understood what all that was about, I, I was then able to deal with it and so we stopped. Mm-hmm. We stopped doing that sort of stuff because uh, I can remember students going through that and then, you know, they'd come back from a practice and i remember one in particular is just in a trance and oh wow yeah and he was uh didn't know what to do i threw a bucket of water over him and didn't work and so on and eventually came out of it like you know, i just couldn't deal with that sort of thing yeah yeah um, they didn't teach you about that in missionary training oh, school no, no it wasn't mentioned <laughs> <laughs> now one of the verses that's coming to my mind is greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Yes. So that had to be a comforting verse to know oh. when under attack from demonic forces. Absolutely. And 
it wasn't just like when you say under attack, it's almost as if there's an attack and then there's not. Mm-hmm. But no, it's just a just a total blanket, demonic heaviness. and mm, yeah, Like you can just, kind of feel the heaviness yeah, in the air, yeah, so to speak? Yeah, everywhere. But so, knowing that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, you knew I'm on the winning side. Yeah. yeah. My God and, is greater. Yeah, and so you, you stop worrying. Mm-hmm. You have that confidence that you're in safe hands. Mm-hmm. And uh, that proved time and again to be correct. Okay, unfortunately, we've run out of time for this first program, so we're going to have to have you come back again to talk some more. Is that okay? Oh, I'd be very happy to. Thank you. Once again, our guest today has been David Odd. We invite you to join us again next time as we talk to him about God's miraculous provision, so how time and time again God provided just the right thing at just the right time while he and his wife, Beryl, were missionaries in Papua New Guinea. You've been listening to Real Faith, and if you have any questions or comments, you can send us a message through our website, realfaith.org.au. That's realfaith.org.au. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.